Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husson and me, Sean Hannon. I can't hear you. And I have a massive echo. Can anybody hear me now? I can hear you now. Can anybody tell us if we're live? That'd be a bigger question. Can the audience help us out and let us know that we're doing this right? That's a big question. Um, it seems we're alive. Um, I'm checking here. I got a couple of viewers. Ben, how was your weekend? It was wonderful. Did you do anything weekend. exciting? I uh, just had a little end of summer party over at the house. Uh, nothing crazy. Uh, we, we were trying to break the 50-person limit as my own mini form of rebellion. I don't I think we it. quite hit it, though. No, that's all right. Did there, was there any dancing? Any music? Uh, we had music, but it was not live. It was recorded music, and there was no dancing. I don't believe you. I missed an opportunity there. Should have had some dancing. How about yeah. you? How was your weekend? Uh, weekend was good. Um, nothing exciting. Uh, you know, made it through another weekend. Uh, kind of a anticlimactic uh, golf week, kind of a... Uh, a pause before the uh, storm, if you will, uh, sure. for the U.S. Open. I don't know if you guys know, this is going to be our U.S. Open special here. So we have a couple uh, golf-specific guests. Um, we're going to kind of break down uh, uh, the course with Dan McCarthy, who is who qualified and will be participating in the U.S. Open. So congratulations to him. And we're going to talk to Trevor Hash, who is a, uh, uh, I don't know, betting extraordinaire is the right word, but he has made quite a bit of... Uh, profitable wagers this year and we're going to touch base on his process and what he goes through when he uh wagers on golf so um before we get into golf though did you see that Cuomo's going to ban trick-or-treating every time i think i can't like this guy less every single time uh yeah i did if i, if I saw that correctly expected to come out in a few weeks that he's going to uh, announce via executive order a moratorium on all trick-or-treating thoughts and feelings mr um Hannon? He's, this is ridiculous. I mean, like, what are we doing? I, this is more of the uh, let's lock down harder because we messed up earlier. And this seems to be just the latest iteration of this where he's trying to, I don't know if he's trying to actually set the bar for the rest of the country on these lockdowns and trying to win the lockdown race or if there's some kind of tournament that I'm unaware of that's going on for the country's governors to who can lock down the hardest. But he is clearly near the top of that list, if not at the top of that list. This may be the cherry on top, except it's only September and Halloween's only October and we still got a few more weeks and months to go. So who knows how where this is going to go. But this is utterly ridiculous. I wish I had kids to send them out. I will be participating in Halloween even though I don't normally, I will be having candy at my house. So anybody who wants to come out and brave the uh, executive order, uh, feel free to stop by my house and grab a Snickers. So what about I have, you? I do have children. My children will be trick-or-treating. And Excellent. if anybody wants to arrest or fine me or them, then that's perfectly fine. Uh, however, we're going to be going around the neighborhood. Maybe we just won't call it trick-or-treating. Maybe we'll just go around to wish everybody a happy Halloween. And if they want to give our kids some costume or some candy because their costumes are so nice, well, then that's great. But otherwise, we're just going to go around and wish everybody a very happy Halloween and remind them to stay safe, because safety is our top priority. We're very if, concerned. If only the brides and grooms would figure that out and just 
recall their ceremonies something other than a wedding. Maybe they could have more than 50 people there. All right, I'm not going to name the venue or anything else, but there is a wedding coming up at a place in upstate New York that is 100% considering it just to be a a normal evening of a restaurant, even though there will be a couple making their nuptials on that weekend. Excellent. I'm excited about it. Congratulations. Right. And I listen, it's the same problem. Los Angeles County out in California just came out at the end of last week and said they're not going to allow trick-or-treating this year. And then the same day, five hours later, they came back and reversed it. And they said, well, actually, apparently a lot of scientists and doctors chimed in and said, this is dumb. Don't do this. And it's still six weeks away. So they backtracked. And naturally, our governor, don't let any opportunity to prove that you can be a dictator go to waste, uh, is going to come out and say, no trick-or-treating. And again, the numbers keep getting better. The data keeps getting better everything keeps getting better except the headlines and the policy. Yeah, it's it's there's a complete disconnect. Um right. you know, we mentioned that when we talked to County Executive McMahon that the headlines don't seem to uh shed light on the actual data that's being, you know, given out and it's the the data and the 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 progress that we've made seems to be easily measurable, but the headlines are the exact opposite. They're they're more scare, more lockdown, more, you know, what can we do to protect ourselves when I feel like we've done enough and have prepared well enough and we've acted well enough, whatever you want to say. I mean, that the, the, the infection rate is still below 1%. It's been that way for over a month. It's, it's, we're, we're to a point where we should be unlocking down, not locking down harder. Yeah. And it's one of these, I feel like it's the human condition that we feel the need to control. Like we feel that we should be able to control everything that happens. So the studies that come out that all say that the lockdowns have no effect whatsoever. And if anything, make the spread worse in the areas that lock down, we ignore that. There's studies that are coming out and saying that even wearing masks is essentially useless. Like it's having no impact. And if anything, a negative impact because it encourages other behaviors that are bad we ignore that, and that's that's not the science we want to follow. And then over the weekend, there's a study that said children are, in fact, great spreaders of this virus. Now, this flies in the face of at least 10 different studies from around the world that all had mass numbers of people. Also, it, it flies in the face of the statistical data of how this disease spreads. But this one study came out, and it was based on tracking, like, 12 kids. That's the science we're going to follow. Seems legit. Like, this is the craziness that, like, look, I acknowledge we don't know everything yet, and we have a lot that's unknown, but at some point, there's a term in the legal world called preponderance of the evidence. What is more likely than not? So if you have one study with very flawed parameters coming out and saying children are really massively spreading it, and you have 10 studies that are concluding, no, they're not, if you're just looking at the 1 and not the 12, ask yourself why. Like, you're cheering for a side, and that's what I think Governor Cuomo is doing at this point is, if there is a more seriousness to this pandemic, if children are able to spread this more serious, it means the demand for him is greater and he is more important versus you're an egomaniac. Just let it go. It's a virus. It is going to spread. I'm sorry, but it is. Now that we're here, shutting it down doesn't help and has drastic consequences. Shutting down schools isn't going to help and has drastic consequences. And canceling all of these normal things of childhood do have negative consequences. And again, don't help. So what are we doing? Sean, help me. Uh, I can't help you. I'm at just much of a loss of words as you are. Um, You know, I'll, I'll bring up the Sturgis thing, same kind of thing, right? So there's this 
I don't know, study or some kind of model that predicted that there was going to be somehow 250,000 people infected by the Sturgis, but that's just not true at all. Like it was basically just a, a headline to grab attention, to spread around, to get everybody scared. But when you look at the actual process that they use to come up with that number, it's complete bunk. So figure, you know, I, I don't know what t- tell people, I've been telling people to stop watching the news. Um, when you read your news, make sure you read all of the news, not just the headline. Make sure you find the, you know, they're usually sometimes buried at the back of the, the article here, but there's usually some newsworthy paragraph buried someplace in the article. Find there, start there, and then work your way out. Um, th- 18 th- paragraphs deep, you'll find out the key piece of information that you actually need to draw an informed conclusion on. I, I think that's right. And, you know, not, not all... Not all sources are created equal by any means. So, you know, find multiple sources, figure that out. But, like, there is enough information out there to find to kind of help you direct your way away from these scary headlines anyway. So, um, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about COVID. I'd rather talk about sports, if that's okay with you, my friend. I mean, I think let's tie it in. How weird is it watching football with no fans? It is pretty weird. Um, As we know, we had week one in the NFL this week. Um, thankfully we get a, uh, NFL season off and running and hopefully it makes through the whole 16 weeks. I think we talked about last year. I think we were, we're thinking we're going to get 16 weeks out of this. Yeah. College football was successful, uh, launch as well. Um, I think they're, you know, more precariously positioned because of the, you know, they're not paid professionals and they're kind mm-hmm. of like at the whim of the, uh, the presidents and the AD and the athletic directors and stuff. They don't so, have the leverage the professional right. players have. And the play, and like I said, and, you know, I'm glad to see NFL out, out on the field, actually real games. Um, on a side note, I was glad there was no preseason. That's I always felt like that was terrible, and now we don't have to worry about that. So this was sure. good. Um, did you have any quick takeaways from, uh, I don't know, maybe your Bills and Jets game? Did you I mean, get to uh, yes. watch a little of that? Was Josh Allen all what he was lived up to be? So Josh Allen is a – it's an improvement from where we were last year where Josh Allen was making big plays, which is what he does. He ran a little too much for my liking, but he is effective at it. He's an athlete. But he put the ball on the ground twice and lost two fumbles, so that's sort of the risk you're running there. Uh, The athleticism on on display, the arm was on display. Some of the decision-making is where he still needs to work. I mean, miss John Brown. Nobody was within 10 yards of John Brown on a 10-yard pass to the end zone, and Josh Allen put it seven feet over his head. Stuff like that, like, look, you're going to make mistakes, and I understand. So it was sort of a – it was definitely improvement from what we saw last year. The flip side, though, is I've noticed this pattern with Josh Allen. The third quarter is the Achilles heel for this man. I have no idea what it is about the third quarter. Well, maybe that's coaching. But he is useless in the third quarter. You would think that – I mean – you know, I'm not an NFL coach, but I feel like they make adjustments at halftime and kind of send right. you out with an altered game plan. So maybe he's not quick to pick that up or uh, it's entirely possible. All I know is for the first two quarters, for most games, first two quarters, he's pretty good. He usually comes out really strong. Second quarter is a little bit of a letdown, but still good. Third quarter, he falls off a cliff. And then in the fourth quarter, he's good again. Yeah, so, so maybe it's the uh, defense adjusting to uh, his play there. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it does that. On the flip side of that, let's go to the Jets for a yeah. minute. That's a dumpster fire. Yeah, they're terrible. Holy good. I, I mean, mean, what happened to Sam Darnold? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, you know, I don't know that he's surrounded by anybody. Like, he has no talent either there. There's Frank Gore. There's nobody there. <laughs> there's legitimately, he has no players. So and I'm not Jameson really Crowder. sure to blame the quarterback on that, but they're they're not good. I expect a long season for the Jets fans. So, they are very uh, good against uh, not, the Not run. that they're not used to long seasons for That's the Jets true. fans. But. Now, the, the run defense was terrific, and it's going to be a, a stout run defense for the season. 
Uh, but honest to God, it's a tragedy watching what this organization is doing to Sam Darnold. Like, this kid came out with all the talent, all the tools, all the intangibles, everything you're looking for, and they are going to destroy him. Yeah, well, he wouldn't be the first quarterback to uh, get destroyed for lack of personnel surrounding him. So, Or just um, a crappy I, organization. No, I, I watched yeah, the Bills sure, do it right. with no, several quarterbacks. That happens. So. No, it happens. 100% happens. So, um, and like I said, sometimes these guys never bounce back, right? Like the uh, – um, What's Carr's brother kid's name there? I can't think of the David Carr. David Carr and Derek yeah. Carr. So the one kid got sacked like 50 times his first year and just never bounced back. Like he was just shambles he after that. He was shell-shocked. So, um, but there, there has been successes too. Like Peyton Manning was terrible his first year. Right. Tons of interceptions. And obviously we, we know the rest was history. So sometimes there are lear- learning curves. Um, but it really does. I mean, Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison and such and Reggie Wayne. And he had some pieces. And mm-hmm. Darnold does not. So... Um, also a fair, st- and yeah. I'm also not a believer in Adam Gase. I like I. Yeah, no, he's. I think he's run his course as well. He's probably better suited just to be an offensive coordinator someplace. Although, give Adam Gase credit because he took one season as the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning and turned that into two head coaching jobs. Well, I, I, that, that happens. I, I mean, don't know what it is about the AFC East. I mean, Nick Foles. The... Nick Foles has got a massive contract, and I mean, he won a Super Bowl, so whatever. But that I mean, it, you can have those flash in the pan seasons, and you know, people will bet on pe- you, especially a quarterback, man. People will, will will bet money on you. So Matt Flynn uh, very, ringing any bells? Hundred percent, same, same, same situation. So let's <laughs> let's move away from the NFL. All right, um, my wait, Steelers wait, wait, wait. We and Giants. Get back to that. Well, right. you say the Giants play tonight, so that's the other New York team. They play my Steelers tonight. How you feeling about Big Ben? Uh, I, you know, after a year off, he's still talking about an elbow thing, so that's not good. Um, he's also said he's had this elbow thing for his whole career, so who knows? I assume he plays well. He does have some pieces surrounding him that are oh, yeah. that are good, so like he doesn't have to be the guy. Uh, they picked up some pieces. Um, uh, Eric Ebron at tight end, so they they have some offensive weapons on top of uh, you know to add to give to Ben to use anyway. So I I, I expect a a playoff caliber season from the Steelers. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know that they can catch Baltimore for the division, but I think that they're better than the Browns and the Bengals. Um, well, the Browns look bad. Yeah, right. And I, I that's another kind of a, a, a team that went from, uh, you know, Cinderella story last year to basically dumpster fire. So, yeah. Um, but I'll be watching. I'll be watching my Steelers and the Giants tonight. I expect, a, I, I think there'll be probably a fair amount of scoring in this game. The, the games actually looked pretty good yesterday, you know, for having no preseason and having a kind of a wonky, you know, start to the season. The play, especially last night's game, the, the Cowboys Rams game was really good and really fun. Yeah. Um, there wasn't as many, you know, penalties and just, you know, seemingly bumbling plays on the field that I thought there could have been with the lack of preparation, but yeah, Clearly I mean, they're, they're professional. <laughs> well, I did not. <laughs> uh, no, I actually, I, you know, I was one of the ones that said, I get the point of preseason and the two advantages to preseason for me were always number one, work out the kinks. It'll make the quality of the play better on the field when the season starts and it matters. I think that's basically been disproven from what I saw yesterday. Maybe not conclusively, but I'm leaning in that direction now of, no, nah, it was good. They, these guys knew what yeah, they were right. doing. The only other advantage to the preseason is the bubble guys, the guys that are yeah. maybe going to make it, maybe not. They get out and show something, get some film on them out in, in the preseason Yeah, games. the young guys, the, the free agents, those guys who need to make a name for themselves, right. that's where you know the preseason games really, really matter. Um, I also I'd like to see some point, kind of hybrid. Yeah, at this point, though, I think there's enough film from these kids coming out of school and everything else that if it, you could have, if you could get regional, like you know the Steelers tend to play the Redskins or the Bills a lot in preseason. 
Um, a lot of these teams have the same cycle of teams that they play right. almost every preseason. If they could figure out a way to kind of regionalize those maybe and play some coordinated scrimmages mm-hmm. where they're not beating up on each other all the time. I know they do this, but they could do a, an expanded version of that for instead of preseason. I'd be all for that, I guess. I'm just waiting for Dwayne Johnson's XFL to come in and fill this void, and we're going to get ourselves like a junior football league, and it's going to serve the same purpose, and we can do away with the preseason altogether. Yeah. And that way the season ticket holders don't have to pay for two extra games that they have no desire to attend whatsoever. Yeah. And and so let's move to the other uh, – sport that's winding down here NBA we are almost to our conference finals we are awaiting the winner of the Denver Nuggets Los Angeles Clippers game seven uh, that will fill out they will eventually play the Lakers and uh, for the Western Conference finals and we have our Eastern Conference finals with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics so we're coming to a first of our major championships team sports anyway Mm -hmm. Um, NBA was wrapping up here so um They've been exciting games here. I expect these last four games to be really, really good. The Clippers-Lakers series should be unbelievable. I mean, they're kind of long been considered the two best teams in the league. Probably four or five of the best players in the league on their team. I mean, it's going to be really, really good. So, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully, the Clippers win. That is, I mean, I'm not sure necessarily for the Clippers, but if the Clippers-Lakers happens, that will be really, really fun. I'm uh, so... I'm surprised by Miami. Not, not necessarily just getting in, but how how little they've lost in the playoffs. I, Jimmy Buckets. I, I didn't see it coming, man. They, I mean, they have a really good coach, um, and they have players. I mean, they you know, they, they have Jimmy Butler, who is one of the best players in the league, especially, you know, when you need a basket in, the, in, in right. crunch time, when the game's close and you have to, you know, a lot of NBA turns into iso ball, and you got to have a guy who can get his own shot, and he can get his own shot. They also have a great point guard. Dragic is really good. Yeah. Um, they have, a you know, Bam Abadio, Abadio, Bam. Bam. Whatever his name, yeah, he's great. Um, it's fun to say he kills. He kills it. I mean, he's just super active, and you know, they, there's a lot of good pieces. Like, and I don't know if their role pieces is kind of selling them short, but they have really good established players who know their role and excel at it, and they're a great team. So, yeah. you know, more than say the LeBron AD like superstar kind of thing, they have a superstar in, in Jimmy Butler, but they're a team, and they have played. I mean, other than Butler, they've largely played together. So, um, yeah, they're, they're interesting. I think that Celtic series is going to be really good. They're two really, really good coaches. Yep. Um, I kind of lean towards the heat in large part because of Jimmy Butler. Um, but I think that that series should be really, really good. Oh, good. Now, at uh, least it's, it's worth watching. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, like I said, I, I really look forward to that Lakers Clippers series if that's how it f- unfolds here. So, um, but really what the focus of our show is this week Ladies and gentlemen, it is U.S. Open Week right here in New York State. Heck yes. At the historic Winged Foot West Course. Uh, this will be the, I believe, the sixth U.S. Open played here at Winged Foot. Yep. Um, only two other courses have played more uh, U.S. Opens here. And by all accounts, the course is going to play unbelievably difficult. Um, you know, I've heard people projecting plus eight as a score Come on. for winning. Um, just for comparison, the winning score this week at the Safeway was minus 21. So that's a 29-stroke swing, that's uh, if, if in fact, plus eight is near the top of the leaderboard. Um, but the rough is hard, long and hard. The, narrows are, the fairways are narrow. The greens are undulating and fast. Uh, they are well-protected. It is going to be, by all accounts, by PGA standards, a bloodbath. Um, <laughs> so... 
I'm super excited for the U.S. Open. It's always difficult. I, we we lost Brooks Kepka this year, who is kind of kind of made a, 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 a habit of just dominating these things because he is such a good driver of the ball. Um, yeah, but the the field is is loaded again. Uh, you know, it's it's it should be an unbelievable tournament. Obviously, no fans, which is kind of weird. Even in New York, they're at least allowing us to play us here in our our lockdown state. Um, I love when they allow us to do stuff. It's so great. I know. Um, but I'm super looking forward to the U S open. Obviously the schedule has all been played out, you know, out all whack here. Uh, the, uh, the qualifying wasn't quite as the same as it is ever traditionally every year where you can kind of, you know, me or you could technically qualify and play in the sure. U S open. It's a very democratic um, process. Uh, this year was a little different because of, they didn't have the qualifying processes. Um, but we did get some, uh, interesting additions to the field, including one local, uh, player, Dan McCarthy, former, uh, Lemoyne college, all American, mm-hmm. um, and Bellevue Club member, so, you know, he's a hometown boy here. We like he quali- him. Yeah, he qualified by finishing third in the uh, Corn Ferry playoffs, and the top five there went on to the U.S. Open, so he is here and get to play at Wingfoot. So this is um, – Dan McCarthy is going to join us here in a little bit, and we'll talk about his uh, qualifying there and his experience going forward. And I don't know if you guys know, he qualified for the U.S. Open back in 2010, so we briefly talk about that a little bit. Uh, having 10 years in between his uh, U.S. Open appearances. But um, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, so, I, every once in a while, I like when the players look like me out there and they're just yes. hacking it up. And, you know, I, I, I clearly know I would be plus 500 or whatever it oh. would be. But it's it's fun to see the best of the best struggle. Yeah. It's better it, I, to overcome the struggle is, is what I like to see. Right? Like everybody's going to have – a shot here where they're going to be in a crappy lie yeah. and they're gonna like, all right, what are we going to do here? And it's how those guys react to those situations that make it really fun for me. I agree with that. And I think there was, I don't remember who said it, but they said the point of the U S open is not to frustrate the best golfers in the world. It's to identify them. And this is most weeks when you're watching the guys out on tour, the course is typically at least two or three of the four days is set up to promote scoring. It's set up that they want to see big numbers. You want to see great shots. It makes for good golf. It makes for good highlights. It makes for a better product. This is the one tournament a year where it's never the goal. The goal is you don't want a U.S. Open winner at 10 under. You want a U.S. Open winner to shoot even par. So you're talking about the best of the best golfers in the world. How do you do that? Yeah, and for for to your point, the the – five previous U.S. Opens at Wingfoot, only one year did a player, well, it was actually technically two players, the only two players finished minus four. The rest of the field was over par. Those two players tied. They went to playoff and won. That was the only time, the only players who have ever been under par in a U.S. Open at Wingfoot. So nobody's expecting under par. Nobody's, everybody's expecting over par. It's a question of how much over par they're going to be. Right. Um, and we talk about this when I'm talking to, to, to Dan McCarthy about how – going from the corn fairy tour where basically 20 under doesn't guarantee you a top five where <laughs> you're going to go in a completely different, you know, mental makeup kind of knowing where everybody's going to get bogeys and you're going to get multiple bogeys and probably double bogeys. Just minimizing the damage is probably a better mindset than trying to score out of your, out of your, out of your gourd on, on the corn fairy tour. So right. very, very different dynamic. And even from going from course to course, I mean, this is a unique setup for these players they're all aware of it. They're all used to it to some degree. It's how they react to it is, is really the entertaining part for me. Agreed. And I think that's what it is about like the common man who's a hacker but likes to go play golf and common woman too. I, and I don't mean to, to be gender specific here. Just 
if you're a an average golfer, somewhere between a 10 and a 22 handicap, 23 handicap, where you can hit some shots, but you're not you're not consistent. It's it's kind of fun watching these guys on tour go out and just like what you know you should do, you miss hit the ball, just take your medicine, punch out, play for the bogey. Unless you're Phil. And then I, listen, this is why I love Phil Mickelson in U.S. Open specifically because everybody knows what you should do. And Phil Mickelson, there's a reason the guy is such a great golfer, but he's never won this tournament. I said he. This is the 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 venue where he basically blew it. He had two shot lead on oh. 18, and, and then he you know hit it driver. off the hospitality tent. Oh, he pulled driver on 18. And <laughs> he still calls it. himself an idiot to this day about that. So he at least should. he's you know he's self aware to some degree. But that guy should have gone pitching wedge, pitching wedge, pitching wedge, putt. So here we are. Except, oh. um, I'm super excited. But let's <laughs> let's listen. Phil's back in this. He's actually playing okay. I, I, I he's not on my DraftKings team. I can't say how happy it would make me if Phil won the thing. Uh, truly, uh, it would be it would be super entertaining. If he he is incapable of just going. All right, just play smart and safe. Just punch out instead, because he is so good. He looks at this stuff and he goes, "All right, I'm going to wrap it around the tree." And then it's going to skirt up th- right through that bunker, and it should go to about 15 feet. And then the thing is, like, five times out of ten, he can pull the shot off. Yeah. But that's five times that you're just done. And on yeah. these tournaments, under these conditions, with the rough so long, so thick, the fairways so narrow, and the greens so impossible to putt on, that strategy typically does not go well. All right. So let's real quick here. We're not going to end the show with this interview, just so you guys know. We're gonna, I'm going to play the Dan McCarthy interview here, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about um, what he had to say. And I have a second interview. We're going to talk about a little bit about how to, how, to, how to maybe make some money this weekend at the U.S. Open with uh, a gentleman who has made some money betting on golf this year, and he's going to give us uh, his little secrets on how to, uh, to bet this week at the U.S. Open. So first, let's play, with, let's play the Dan McCarthy interview, and then we'll be right back with you guys, and uh, we'll, talk, we'll break down what he had to say. I want to welcome to the show a Syracuse native and two-time All-American at LeMoyne College. He qualified his second U.S. Open by finishing third in the Corn Ferry playoffs. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan McCarthy. Mr. McCarthy, thank you for taking some time for the show. Uh, welcome to Sports Clicks and Politics. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, I know you remember at the club that I work at. Do you have any fond memories of Bellevue, uh, either on or off the course, that you'd like to share with us here? Uh... Boy, right, boy. It was a while ago, got, before my I time. Got, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a lot of memories up there. Oh, man. Uh, well, make, make sure they're uh, PG rated. Yeah, yeah. There's some of the, probably the good ones I can't necessarily <laughs> get into on, on the radio here. Um, hmm. Boy, it's probably, you know, uh, probably just the camaraderie, you know, playing with all the guys up there and, um, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of guys. You know, they text me when I do well and stuff like that and uh, give me a lot of encouragement. Um, but, gosh, I just – I miss, the, you know, the summer days up there, like the the twilight nines, you know, when you go out at about 6 or 7 o'clock and yeah. the sun's going down, coming through the trees. It's, it's just a beautiful place. Yeah, it is a great place. Um, so let's move a little bit. 2020 is a little different year than most. Um, we're playing in the world of COVID here, and professional sports is a little different in the year of COVID as well. Um, what is different, you know, I, I, other than the obvious, um, uh, uh, the, the, the total difference in, uh, you know, there's no crowds. Um, what, 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 take me through, like, take the audience through what 
a day on tour is like additionally, other than just the preparation for the tour, but what do you have to do additionally as far as testing, um, you know, social distancing, any of that stuff that needs to go on within the PGA bubble or the corn Ferry bubble, I'm pretty sure they're probably pretty similar. So kind of what, what, what do you go through in a day when you're, uh, you know, in the world of COVID and on, on the tour? Well, the day-to-day stuff isn't, isn't crazy different, but, um, you know, early in the week, usually when you get there on a Monday, you have to do, uh, some sort of, of COVID test, um, and we're allowed to go on the golf course and, and the driving range and stuff like that while we're waiting for our results. Uh, but we can't go into the clubhouse or any enclosed space where, you know, you can't social distance or anything like that. Uh, but once you get your negative test result back, which is typically 24 to 36 hours, um, you get full access to the club and the clubhouse and stuff like that. And, you know, different states have different requirements and restrictions. And, you know, sometimes we have to wear masks while we're in the clubhouse and we can only take it off when we eat. Um, you know, the, the tour really encourages us to do like a, a shelter at home type thing and in, in our hotels or wherever we're staying. And they want us to pick up food and bring it home to the hotel. So we're, you know, uh, limiting our exposure to anyone, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, but you know, other, once you get past all those, those little details, it's really not that much different to be honest with you. Well, that's good. I mean, like I said, obviously you want to somehow to have some kind of comfort level when you're, when you're, uh, you know, going from place to place here. So obviously you're coming back to New York. The rules will be a little different here. Um, uh, than other states, uh, we were kind of one of the earlier hard hits place here. So we've had some, uh, some, some, some of the social distancing measures in place for, for quite a while. Um, this is, I mentioned this is the second time uh, you've qualified for the U.S. Open. Take me back to 2010. First of all, is how great is Pebble Beach, and what you know, what, what experiences do you remember about the, the your first U.S. Open? Ah, uh, boy, it's you know, I've two time, really though, good venues. <laughs> it is that's that's true. Uh, I still I still remember certain things vividly, though. I mean, um, I've been fortunate enough to pick two really good venues to play. Um, but Pebble back in 2010, you know, it's, it's just a special place. It's beautiful. You know, it's obviously got quite the a storied history with the game of golf and tour events and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I remember the first thing that happened when I got to the course is I got, I went out to the driving range and, you know, the only spot left on the range was next to Ernie Els. And you know, I threw a bag of balls on the ground and was hitting, next, hitting balls next to Ernie Els nice. all of a sudden, and, you know, going from the mini tours. Uh, all the way up to the U.S. Open and sitting next to Ernie Els was was a bit shell shocking. You know, I think I was only I don't know 24 at the time and only had been playing professionally for a couple years, so I was still pretty new um, and pretty inexperienced. Um, what else? You know, the the 18th hole is still the prettiest golf hole I've ever seen in my life. Cool. Uh, anywhere I go, it's it's just absolutely gorgeous and then with the big stands with the u.s open set up i mean it was just really really cool yeah and so okay so let's fast forward to 2020 so how was it different in 2020 for you and and your game uh going into the uh second u.s open uh yeah i feel like i'm a lot more prepared than i was back then i've got a lot more experience under my belt uh i've had a lot more success um you know i kind of get i've gotten to know what happens to me under pressure quite a bit better. 
and you know ways to cope and handle it and and just get down to business um you know which at a golf course like wingfoot with how difficult it is it's, you know that never guarantees success or anything like that sure. you know you just got to go out and try to grind it out as much as possible uh, and i've never played there and but i do know it's going to be an extremely difficult test um I, I know some guys who've gone up there and we all heard john rob's statement about you know like eight over or something like that he thinks might win or, or something um, yeah, I, I heard that exact thing i think it was like the director of golf from the course he said the same thing plus eight that's the that's the winning score plus eight everybody's got to get to plus eight so like so how do you take that compared to what you're doing on the corn ferry tour where you're like shooting minus 20 and finishing fourth um yeah, how, yeah. How, how, how do you prepare differently knowing that as you said it might be a bit of a more of a grind or definitively more of a grind but how do you prepare mentally knowing that the scoring is going to be so drastically different than what you're used to yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and and you know, the, I think the rough is going to be pretty pretty gnarly. So, um, you know, it, it's basically retraining your mind to accept that bogeys are not killers anymore, like they are, you know, like at a corn fairy event where we're shooting shooting twenty one under or something like that to win. Um, you know, at a U.S. Open, two, three, four over par. Uh, at a venue like Wingfoot is actually a pretty darn good score out there that day. So it, you do have to kind of retrain your mind to accepting that bogeys aren't necessarily the, the killers that they normally are. Um, I think the key is um, avoiding double bogeys and trying to sprinkle in a birdie here and there when you can get them. Uh, but just trying to limit the damage and don't take anything on that could potentially lead into some more trouble. And, you know, it's, Basically, when you miss the fairway, just pick a club that, uh, you know, to find the quickest way back to the fairway. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Yeah, and so uh, seemingly finding the fairway will be a uh, probably a huge uh, advantage for the players for, for scoring. Um, looking through the stats, it seems like uh, driving accuracy is right up your wheelhouse there. So do you feel comfortable? I know you never played the course, but, I mean, are you comfortable where you're T game is there to, to fit this course? It seems like it would be. Yeah, I, I typically drive it pretty well. Uh, I'm not the longest player in the world, but I typically uh, keep it pretty straight. So yeah, because I saw um, you and your and, and your T to green game were were both really good. So it seems, you know, as a DraftKings player, I plugged you in here because I feel like your driving accuracy and your T to green T to green game might be what we're looking for as far as a player, and you kind of. You're six thousand dollars on DraftKings, so you make the rest of the lineup fill out quite easily. I I hadn't heard that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that's pretty I cool. They, they announced I, uh, the, the salary came out. Uh, I think yesterday. A friend of mine sent me the odds, and I think I'm a hundred thousand to one to win, or something like that. That's oh. the only line I've seen. I'm like, well, I might as well throw a couple bucks. Yeah, out absolutely. There <laughs> absolutely. Um, but so, it, but it, yeah, it, you know, yeah. I, go ahead. Um. You know, it, it's the style of course I kind of grew up playing. You know, I grew up at Drumlins and then later at Bellevue. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of used to playing courses that are tree-lined and, and um, difficult undulating greens and, and stuff like that as, as being the difficulty of the course. You know, I don't – I think there might be only one water hazard on the whole course. I think there's a creek on, like, number 12 or 13, something like that, maybe 15. Um, so it's truly, it's just right in front of you, you know, it's, there's trees and there's rough and then the greens are going to be fast and undulating. So it's, there's no, 
there's no tricks about it. There's nothing hiding out there. It's all just kind of right in your face and telling you to come and get it. So, and so uh, the driver driver is going to be key for sure. And, and so you, you, I think you told me you uh, arrived there on Monday. You kind of get to walk on the on the course for the first time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to fly up Sunday, and then we have to do a COVID test Monday morning. And once I get a negative result back from that, then I'm allowed to go on property and, and start my, my practice for the week. And so when do you get your tea time and uh, all that kind of uh, situated? I'm not really sure. I, I figured I, I thought I might have already heard what the tea times were by yeah. now, but uh, I looked on the app and they hadn't, yeah, the app, the app hadn't listed any tea times yet. So I was wondering if you had known that yet. So no, 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 I haven't, I haven't gotten any information on that yet. Um, I would imagine they'd, they keep the corn fairy tour guys that qualified all together. Um, if I had to guess, but I truly don't know. All right. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So uh, obviously this is exciting here. I, I, when did you get like, you know, when did you first know, I guess that you were, uh, you know, when you were, was it in the match or after the match? How did you really realize that you were head qualified for the U S open? I forgot to touch on that. Um, you know, I, I knew I had a chance, obviously, at the Tour Championship there, and I figured after, you know, a T2 and a T3 in the playoffs, um, I, I would have been surprised had I not made it. Uh, but I didn't get confirmation until I went up into the scoring area after the final round. And, you know, they radioed over to the truck that was keeping track of, of all the points and all the scenarios and stuff, and they radioed back that confirming that I was in. So I, awesome. I, I didn't know when I made that putt on uh, the 18th green, if that either, if that was necessary or if I could have two putted or, or what it was, but I, I really didn't know until about 10 minutes after I made that putt at the tour championship. Cool. And, and I know that the corn ferry, the, the, the graduating or the qualifying, however they, they term out the terminology is for moving into the, to earning your card and the PGA is a little, they kind of moved it this year because of the, the COVID do. So, I think I saw you were 23rd in the top 25. Does that carry over to the 2021 tour? Like how, how do the, how does that going to work next year going forward? Are they just going to start over? No. So it's one gigantic season, uh, okay. 2020 and 2021 gotcha. are a combined cumulative point race. So, uh, this time next year, they'll be awarding, uh, the top 25, you know, for the, for the two year season, basically. So, there's still, uh, still so a long only, way to go. You're not, even, you're not even at halftime of the Corn Ferry Tour, is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I think we're barely approaching it, maybe. <laughs> Very good. Um, right. we got three events left after the U.S. Open that I'm going to play, and I think we're and then we're done until January. So, still got a long way to go, and sure. still got a, a lot of good golf to play in order to secure a PJ Tour card. So. Just got to keep our head down and keep going. All right. Mr. McCarthy, I want to thank you for your time. Just know everybody back at Bellevue is paying attention and keeping an eye on you. We appreciate it. And uh, we're rooting I, for you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having thank me you. on. Yep, no problem at all. Take care. Yep. All right. I think we are back. I want to thank Dan McCarthy. Just say it with confidence. I, I'm not confident. We're back. <clears throat> We're back. <laughs> Question mark. Um, 
So that was interesting. I thought it was cool um, just to have a local guy who's going to kind of be on the big stage here. Um, I was glad he took some time out for us to kind of kind of see where his head was at. And, uh, um, you know, I kind of could sense he was a little bit excited there uh, to kind of get at this again with his new frame of mind here. But uh, yep. I'll be rooting for him. Like I said, I have him in a couple of my DraftKings lineups just because he's uh, very cost effective and his uh, stats match. But uh, I'm sure everybody at the club will be rooting for him as well. It's, Absolutely. Uh, it's cool for him to uh, take some time and this be a pretty cool thing for him. And I also like I like what he was we're trying to get some idea of what is the overall process like how is this working and he's kind of like i don't know I, yeah. i'm gonna show up and i i some people everybody looks at this differently some people are very detail oriented they got to know every single thing and they could be prepared other people are much more and i think he strikes me as this of my job is to go play golf everything else will sort itself out I'm going to show up, I'm going to practice, I'm going to hit balls, I'm going to putt, and I'm going to repeat, 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 and if I've got to do other stuff, when are they going to give me my pairing? I don't know because it doesn't matter. I don't care who I'm playing with, I don't care what I'm doing. I like that. I think that that puts you in a good frame of mind to just say, none of the rest of it matters. Yeah, it, I mean, listen, I, I'm assuming it's a big deal for him. I'm not trying to dismiss that, oh, but I feel right. like the fact that he has gone through this at least one other time, even though it was much younger in his life, that sure. that, that helps. Um, the fact that it's in New York, I think, helps. Um even though he's never played there before, I, I don't know. It's just a, I can't say it's a level of comfort, but I mean, it's, I feel like there might be a level of comfort just being in the Northeast, being near home. Um, you know, I, I, there's no fans at the thing, but I'm assuming he's going to have some uh, people in and around him through the weekend, sure. maybe that he might be able to interact with that he normally otherwise wouldn't. So very exciting for Mr. McCarthy. Uh, I'll be rooting for him as uh, uh, for personal and financial gains um, this weekend or next. Yeah, this weekend. So there you um, go. Speaking of financial gains, uh, we have another guest, um, Trevor Hash, who is a uh, degenerate and self. He's self-identified as a degenerate. I'm not throwing out names to throw him under the bus here, Mr. Hughesong. Stop laughing. I would never assume such a thing. Um, so he has had quite a, a year uh, placing bets and wagering on on the PGA and golf. Um, so we're going to bring him on, talk to him about strategies for this weekend, um, kind of talk about what his process is and how we might be able to use his process to make a little money ourselves this weekend. So, uh, if you don't know, New York has legalized gambling, so you can make a little road trip to one of the casinos or, um, or any of the casinos actually, uh, state or private and, or the, or the native Americans, you can bet on golf. So, um, if you learn something here in this little segment um you can kind of make a trip here and figure out or if you live outside of new york feel free to bet wherever you can so um without further ado let's bring on trevor hash and uh let's kind of break down uh some of the uh best players to put some money on i want to welcome to the show a gentleman and a degenerate he is a man that has been quite profitable betting on pga in 2020 and he's here hopefully gonna how to help us make some uh, informed wagers on this year's u.s open Ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Hash, Mr. Hash, welcome to Sports Clicks and Politics. I want to thank you for your time, um, and hopefully, thank you for some uh, profitability here in the uh, after the U.S. Open. Oh, thanks for having me, Sean. I'm excited to give out some picks here, and uh, hopefully, we can keep the winning going. Yeah. So, so how do you become an expert PGA golf better? Um, I know you've had quite this, the, <laughs> the run here, picking some winners and uh, others. Um, Give, give me a, give me a little bit of background on how you got started betting on golf and uh, how you uh, how you and your process turned that into some profits. Yeah, so I mean, I've been I've been golfing pretty competitively my whole life, and 
Um, I actually went to college to be PGA professional and uh, so I always loved golf. And when I graduated and, you know, found out about betting golf and uh, I just fell in love with it. It makes the, the tournaments a lot more interesting, uh, especially in a tournament like last week, the Safeway, where you wouldn't be necessarily interested in it. But uh, when you throw a couple dollars on it, it always it always piques the interest. Are you trying to say the field at the Safeway wasn't that strong? Well, you know, I mean, Jordan Spieth did miss the cut, so maybe it is pretty strong. <laughs> so, so you have a golf background. You play a bit of golf. Uh, it's not quite uh, fully. Uh, state legal here in New York, obviously there's several ways to, to, to this to be going, but it seems to be moving this. I don't know if you want to talk about how the whole industry in general and sports betting is becoming mainstream is the right word maybe, but how it seems to be coming and embraced and becoming more legalized across the country. It's something that I feel like on top of the existing fantasy competitions that are out there, that it seems like a very uh, sensible compliment to the same type of people. And it seems very, very popular. Yeah, sure. So uh, a few years ago or a couple of years ago now, the Supreme Court uh, overturned a decision that was made sports betting illegal in the country um, and now left it up to the states. So mo- many states throughout the country have, have fully legalized it, including uh, mobile wagering. Uh, New York has actually legalized it. Uh, there's sports books at state-run casinos and Indian-run casino- casinos. Uh, so it is fully legal in New York uh, outside of the mobile wagering, which that's been on the docket here for uh, you know, a couple of years, but as you know, how things work in Albany, it's slow and painful, but, uh, so it is legal. just, uh, right. unfortunately can't do it mobily right. in, uh, in New York. So you have to make it, make a little trip, but you can still get your bet in, but you just have to, uh, know, know you have to use the, uh, your map quest or whatever the, uh, current, uh, GPS service of your, uh, driving there. So you can get there. You can find a way to place your bet. You just can't do it on your phone yet. <laughs> so it's probably going to happen soon. I, I, I feel like my, my phone gets texts twice a week from somebody trying to promote or t- tell me to contact my, uh, my legislator to try to get this passed. So I- I'm guessing there's the, uh, the full court press going on for this right now. Currently uh, with the budget situation in our state, I can see this being a very um, popular decision to uh, fully legalize mobile wagering so that the state can get their money and uh, do whatever they do with it. So but let's talk about more about the golf here. So um Talk about what you do. You had this golf background, but how do you use that, and, and how do you develop a process to become consistent at, you know, profiting at betting and anything specifically in golf? Sure, I think a lot of it is how you use your bankroll. Um, so with golf, you're betting guys at, at pretty long odds. They're, you're not likely to have a winner every week. Um, it's not a fifty-fifty shot like it would be in football or basketball. Um, you know, pretty much all these guys, even even if their odds seem good, ten to one, it's still you're you're ten to one to win this. Is, is what the casino is saying. So it's it's still unlikely. Uh, so the key is bankroll management. Is, is betting these top twenty guys, betting top thirty guys. You know, head to head matchups, where you can you know if you're doing that successfully, you can keep a bankroll so that if you don't hit a winner this week, you still can bet next week and the week after, and and just to keep that trend going. And so, let's talk specifics. Um, we, we talked about you've had some success this year. Uh, is, is there some specific part where you said, Hey, I, I feel like I got this down, not maybe dot down as in like, uh, I'm going to, re- you know, quit my job and this is all I'm going to do uh, professionally. <laughs> but, but have you got, when did you have a kind of a moment where you're like, Hey, I think I, I have a good process here and I've seen some real life successes using this process to think that you could continue to do it. Yeah. So, you know, during quarantine, when, when there was no sports, 
um, you know, I was going crazy as a huge golf fan. So when golf came back, I didn't start betting uh, League of Legends on DraftKings. (laughs) I didn't get that low. Okay. and, uh, you know, when golf came back, I was really excited. It was really the first sport that came back. Um, and, and to make it interesting, you know, the first week I, I placed a few bets out there just to, to make it fun. Uh, and then something clicked with me that week. It was, you know, elite ball strikers win golf tournaments. Elite, elite iron players win golf tournaments more times than not. Uh, we saw it at Colonial, the first tournament back, Daniel Berger and Kamar Arakawa dueling, going head-to-head, and eventually Berger winning both elite iron players and both elite ball strikers. Uh, so that clicked for me. And then I use this database, fantasynational.com, uh, which is an unbelievable database for statistics. It gives you pretty much everything you could ever want to, to create your own model of, of what you're looking for and, and to, to pick out the guys you want to bet. Um, so that week, I, the next week, I really dove in and used that database. And, and you know, aside from using the database to, to figure out statistically who might be the best statistic guys to bet. You also got to look at the value of the guys you're betting. So at Colonial, Webb Simpson missed the cut. Um, Webb's an elite ball striker and, you know, can get hot with the putter. So the next week, the books were, our, were down on him. The sports books were down on him and offered him at 33 to 1. A guy who, in that field, any other week, if he had just made the cut and played halfway decent, would have been 15 to 1. So that's an immense amount of value there. The stats were popping off. And it was, it was a pretty easy bet. Um, I think it was a big community win. I think a lot of people were, were on that. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a mix of, of using statistics, but also you want to you bet the value guys. Right. So there's – and to, to, I think I'm right on this. So you're, you're basically factoring in two things. Is the player what you're looking for in a player? And is the, the, the number that you're getting something that you think you can return a, a – you know, enough of a, a profit on to, to, to take a risk. Cause usually you're not betting one guy in a, in a beginning week in any given week. Correct. No, right. Correct. You're, you're usually betting, um, whatever your bankroll is, it, it depends on the odds, but I like to generally be around six guys, seven guys, maybe a couple long shots sprinkled in there, a couple dollars to make it fun. Um, but if it, there's a big difference between spreading your money out on, on six guys at, at medium odds, you know, 40, 30, 50 to one, or, or betting two guys at the lower odds. So there's, there's definitely some strategy that goes involved there. You, you, you'll give yourself more shots with more people in, in the medium range, but you'll get two studs if you go in the shorter range. Yeah. Cause I mean, winning a golf tournament is, is a difficult task in general, any given week. So the, the, you know, even if you're picking at the top of the of the of the odds board every single week, there's no guarantee that the top of that odds boards is who's actually winning this. So, like golf is very variable. I feel like in winning, and so you gotta you gotta find value in that number. Um, and like I said, I, I I like the idea of having multiple players at different numbers so that you can kind of I don't know hedge hedge yourself a little bit by having some some favorites at the top and some long shots at the bottom. But you 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 know if any any one of those hits, you're still usually probably ahead. Oh, absolutely. And if, and if one of those hits, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up now to, to carry on for another 8, 10, 15 to 20 weeks, depending on how the odds are, um, if, if that's what you want to do is to keep betting. So, you know, if you get one, it really enhances you to keep going and get more. And if you can get that, you know, your process down to the point where you're picking winners pretty regularly, you know, once a month is, is unbelievable. To pick a winner once a month, you're, you're going to be so far ahead. Um, that you could quit your day job. I'm not there yet, but <laughs> you, 
you just it's, you just got to stick to the process. All right. And so before we get into specific players uh, for the uh, U.S. Open, is there anything else about the process that you kind of wanted to let somebody in or should we jump right into the players? No, let's, uh, let's jump into the players. And I'm sure as we're going through this, you'll, you'll kind of see some of my process and how I'd like to work through things. Okay, let's let's start at the real tippy tippy top here. Just the, I'm actually going to shorten it down to like the, the DJ through uh, JT group here. Um, probably mm-hmm. most of the, I don't know. And I'm using I, I play a lot of DraftKings, so I'm going to use this. I, I'm guessing most of the players are going to they're, they're going to start with one of these guys. Um, so I, do you when you're making your 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 bet ticket there? Do you look for a guy at the top always? Do you look for just if there's a value at the top? I'm like, how, how do you start the process looking at the gods, the guys who are the odds on favorite? Yeah. So I, I, I do look at the value. These guys are at this top end are all so good that, you know, this week, for example, DJ is a well-deserved favorite at, at six and a half to one, but that's just not the kind of better I am. I'm not the, the kind of guy who's going to put all my eggs in, in the DJ basket. So I'm going to try and beat him this week. Um, I think DJ is an exceptional player. He's the hottest player in the world right now. Uh, there's there's no question. But do I think he's twice as good as John Rahm? Do I think he is twice, twice as likely to, to win this golf tournament than John Rahm? No, I don't. Um, so it, it's there's definitely a value that goes into these top guys because the, the there are such a thin margin between how good DJ is to John Rahm to Xander to you know straight on down the list. You, you know you can bring that all the way down to to Morikawa. You know all those players are so. Um, hot right now and and they can win any week so i i definitely look for the value at that part of the golf board of uh, the betting board um and then, and then i look for the small details that that lead me to you know my first pick is john around this week at 11 to 1 over uh, a dj or a michael White. and are and are you comparing i mean i'm assuming there's got to be some comparison to okay you know if you talked about um, the, the, the disparity between uh, Johnson and Rams odds of winning and you think it, it shouldn't be two to one there. Um, do you, do you, so do you try to find, okay, well, if there's a, there's a big discrepancy there, do you look behind John Rahm at the, the Xander Rory JT uh, group and say, okay, is John Rahm's equity and the win equity in John Rahm a big enough jump from the 14 to one to the 11 to one from those guys to John Rahm? So I, I think it is this week for sure. And and that goes down to um, the fact that you can just look at recent history here. You know, John Rahm, since the restart, has, has won two golf tournaments at the two hardest tracks that we've played at so far, uh, Memorial and then the BMW. And not that these are comp courses necessarily for Wingfoot, but these are difficult golf courses. And, and John Rahm is not the guy who's going to go out and shoot 25 under and win a golf tournament. He's, he's the guy who likes to grind it. He's going to be happy anywhere from that six under range, eight under range. And, and I certainly think he can win a U.S. Open, especially when it's five over, six over at a course like Wingfoot. Um, you know, he's elite off the tee. He's accurate. One of the longest hitters. Um, and, and people don't realize this about Ron is he's exceptional around the greens. Um, you know, I think if you look back, that's pretty standard for these Spaniards. They, they always have elite, elite around the green games, you know, going all the way back to Seve. Um, so I think Ron is perfectly suited for a golf course like this. Um, if that putter gets even a little bit hot, you know, I think he could, he could win this thing by five or six shots like he did at Memorial. So it sounds like you're starting your betting slip with John Ron. 
<laughs> yes, I am. So, <laughs> I did have a, a discuss, you know, an internal discussion of, of Rom or Rory. Um, I think when everyone's at playing at the best of their, their abilities, I think Roy McIlroy is the number one player in the world. And he's, when he's on, no one's better than him. Um, I think DJ's right there. Uh, Rory, he's a lead off the tee. Um, his irons have been slipping a little bit lately, which is unlike him. And, and the thing that worries me with Rory is he, he can't putt like he used to. Um, and, and in the spring, when he just had a new kid, um, you know, a new baby, I'm sure he's running all around with a new baby and his wife. And um, so, you know, it's, it's not that I think it's a great number on Rory. If you really like Roy McIlroy, I don't have any problem with that. He'd probably be the second guy I'd go to in this range. Um, but the way I bet, I can only pick one, and uh, and John Rahm's that guy for me. Okay, and so how 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 do you work yourself down the list to find the next guy or group of guys, uh, t- you know, that you're interested in? So, um, you know, we've moved past the fourteen to one guys. We're into the eighteen, twenty to one guys now. Here, maybe all the way down to the thirty-three. I mean, do you, do you, do you group these into? You know, how, how do you find the next guy? Are you working bottom up at all ever? Do you always kind of work down the list from top to bottom? So the first thing I'll always do is I'll look at the statistics and pick out the guys I like the best. Okay. And then, then I'll go through the stats. Um, it's actually, it's funny. It's pretty rare for me to start my card so high up on a guy like John Rahm or an elite guy at those odds, because I just generally don't think there's enough value most of the time up there. Um, U.S. Opens are a little bit different, right? There's their elite players win U.S. Opens, especially at a course like Wingfoot. Um, so, so that this week I, I decided to start my card there, and then the next range I'll look at is really that twenty to thirty-three to one range, um, twenty to thirty-five to one range, because I'm pretty comfortable up here, and that's not not great for his back. Um, he's just not elite enough off the tee for me, and uh, believe it or not the unbelievable putter that Tiger is, he hasn't been this year. Uh, yeah, he's still one of the greatest iron players in the world. He's still one of the greatest long iron players in the world, which you have to be here. Yeah, and, um, but And even if he's not on your betting slip and he wins, we all win anyway. So exa- exa- That's exactly how I look at it. I mean, I didn't have him at the Masters a couple of years ago, and I was I had seen out and I was dying for, for Tiger to win because I didn't care about the bet at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he, he just, just incites such sure. a strong feeling. Yeah. Oh, great, great for the game. And so uh, in this range, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I was looking at, at two guys, really three guys, really. It, it was Webb Simpson, Colin Morikawa, and Daniel Berger. Um, you know, my feelings on Morikawa. I hit him earlier this year at Workday, and and truthfully, I should have been on him at the PGA Championship because I think he is by far the best ball striker in the world. I don't think anyone is as good of an iron player as Colin Morikawa, and he's twenty what. One years old, twenty two years old. Um, so, and he, and he drives the ball pretty straight uh, and, and long enough. The thing that got me off of off of Morikawa was I just don't know if I can, you know, a putt to win in the thirty second hole from five feet at a course like at Wingfoot. I just it's not the same as, as Harding well, Park in San Francisco. I had, I had Morikawa and not Berger in the uh, playoffs, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, and that landed me on, on Berger. Um, you know, it's it's pretty hard not to like Daniel Berger right now. He is probably the second hottest player in the world behind DJ. Um, he's, he's only won once, but he's been very, very close multiple times since then. Uh, he's a lead off the tee. He's 15th and off the tee in this field um, in the last 50 rounds. He's 30th on approach, 8th in tee to green. 
Um, this is an elite player, and he's got actually a little chip on his shoulder because he's actually not in the Masters in November. Mm, um, he did not qualify. <laughs> so he's hoping that a U.S. Open win here will, will make the committee at Augusta change their mind and, and send him an invite for this year. And so, obviously, between the three golfers you named, there's a, a, you know, a, a decent value there, kind of what you were talking about before, from the 20-1 the to 1 down to the 35-1 to 1 or 33-1 to 1 here for Berger. Um, obviously, I'm assuming that played a role in moving down the board from those two, two other guys? 100%. Um, you know, it's, I think the number's really strong for him. Uh, it, it's, it's a course that I think is going to fit him. And if you look at the guys that are grouped around him, you know, I think his win equity is higher than, than all of those guys, you know, maybe outside of Morikawa and Simpson. I think, I think he's got a better shot to win than a Cantley, a Finau, a Tiger, a Day, and that's the yeah, only last time they've won. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's so much of it's about win equity. And, and I think 33 to one's a value. And I wouldn't be surprised that as the week goes on, if that number actually gets better for the betters and, and moves to a 40, 40 to 45 to one. And, and, and he's at the top of a pretty good, group of names here um that all seem to have i don't know i don't know top five equity maybe i don't know if i win equity out of the the, the fleetwoods the followers and there's adam scott scheffler casey hatton these guys i mean you know they, they all look yeah. really, really attractive um you know what's this mix look like for you so i love this range this is usually the range the 30 to 50 to one is usually the range that i start my cards with okay. that i just this is where i think the most value is in golf um, in golf betting, you know, like you said, look at these names and, and, you know, what they've done is speaks for themselves, you know, all of them, you know, maybe outside of Fleetwood, it really hasn't done much on, on US side, but he's been close. I mean, he was close at a comp course in Shinnecock where he finished second. Um, so I, I love this range. You've got players that have name value that aren't playing great, but you also have the players with not so much name value that are playing outstanding. And, and I, I think this range is very, very fun to play because you don't have to bet a lot to win a lot and and for the casual golf better that's that's what you're looking for yeah and and they're you know again i feel like top tier kind of players obviously this this field is stacked so you're getting some of the best players if not the, the best field that you can but like i think you're right and that that you can not bet a lot and still have a feel feel pretty good about the guys you got on your on on, on your card there so um, you could bet two. You could bet two or three of these guys, and and know that come Sunday, one or two of them are going to be in the mix, yeah, and that's, that's all you're looking for yeah, is to fun. have a shot on Sunday. All right, and so now let's work down to these bigger numbers here. Um, I still see some big, pretty big names here who have had uh, some pretty good careers, and maybe even a, a tournament uh, victory here. Who else is on your list down here in this? Uh, you know, big, bigger than fifty to one, the sixty-six and, and bigger numbers. Sure. So I got, I got two guys in this range. Um, I absolutely love Tyrell Hatton and, and Scotty Shuffler. Uh, I'll start with Scotty since okay. he's a little bit lower odds here. Um, you know, he has been blazing hot the last few weeks, especially throughout the playoffs. And I think we're getting a great number at 40 to one. He, I think he proved himself at, at the PGA championship at Harding park. He, he was, he stayed locked in. He didn't, he didn't waver with the pressure. He didn't win, but I think it, it's going to prepare him to win. Um, he's got the pedigree, you know, PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. He shot a 59 at, at TBC Boston a few weeks ago. Um, this, this is definitely a guy that I think is there's some, maybe not as much value as we could have had, you know, a month ago, but he's playing so well right now that I think there's no question we need to have him. He's, he's in the last 50 rounds, he's third in tee to green, fifth in ball striking, and eighth in approach. I mean, those are 
those numbers are up there with DJ and Rom and Rory. I mean, this is this is a value. And your other guy was you said uh, well you had Hatton here, right? Yep, Tyrell Hatton, who is an I exceptional iron player. Yeah, that's a, that's and that's a great number for him. I mean, he's a top what twelve player in the world. Um, people don't run to bet him because he's not American. Uh, he's he's been playing great this year. He had a win at Bay Hill earlier this year, and he's he's been in contention since the restart multiple times. Uh, you know, this guy is is an elite iron player. You know, top five, top ten in the world. Um, he's he's pretty good off the tee. He's he's straight. Uh, it's all going to depend on his putting. Uh, you know, Hatton is a notoriously streaky putter. If he's if he's hot on Thursday, watch out. Um, if he's cold on Thursday, close your eyes because he it can go. It's all going to depend on this on this guy's putter. All right, and now now let's uh, move down the board here. We're, you know, obviously you're going to get some bigger numbers here as as some of these neighbors, but I still see some big times names. I see uh, uh, Phil name down here at eighty to one. Does that have any interest for you? Uh, I mean, how can't you love Phil? Back, back Someone... wing foot? You think he's got any uh, demons to exercise at all? <laughs> you know, I, I would think if this was, you know, 10 years after it happened, maybe, you know, he'd still be fresh in the mind. But I, I think Phil's got a good attitude this week. He's, he's cracking jokes on Twitter. You know, someone put, uh, I think, like $45,000 on to win uh, the tournament. And, and he made a joke saying he needed to have a three-shot lead on 18 instead of the two he had <laughs> last time it was here. But, uh, you know, I think, look, it's 80 to 1. You know, if you want to put a couple bucks on that, five to ten bucks, just to, just if he wins, how how much fun would that be to yeah, be a right. part of? Um, and, and it's hard not to root for him to, to to get his U.S. Open to exercise those demons, like you said. That being said, there are guys that I like a little bit more in this area yeah. um, that I think do have, yeah, that I think do have a little bit more win equity. And, and I'm going to start with Matthew Wolf. Um, you know, I, I think he's sometimes a forgotten youngster here. Um, you hear all about Hovland, you hear all about Morikawa, uh, but Matthew Wolf is an exceptional talent. Um, he is an incredible iron player. Again, there's the trend of good iron players. Uh, he's a great long iron player, which is going to be important here. Uh, and he also is one of the straightest and longest hitters on tour, uh, which you know I'm sure you've seen that the, the rough here is looking like it's going to be five and a half to six mm-hmm. inches long. Uh, wing foot, so fairways are going to be key. Um, you know, he's a, he's a pretty okay putter. You know, I, I, he just if his putter gets hot, watch out. And you know, you can say that about anyone, but but these guys who are elite at other areas, if they just have an average putter putting week, you know, they could easily win this golf tournament. And I think you know we just saw a first you know young guy win win a major. So there's no reason that Wolf couldn't couldn't do it this week. All right, so you've given us kind of like a handful of guys here who people should be considering uh, uh, or that you're at least considering for your card. What about some long mm-hmm. shots? So, like, is there any guys uh, down here where we should, uh, you know, start retiring on our uh, wagers down here? Like, I see, <laughs> I don't see anything really big, huge numbers. I mean, I see 1,000 to 1, I see 500 to 1, 250, 350s. What, what uh, down here in the triple digits, you got anybody? Yeah, so you know, I'll start with with a hundred to one. Um, Brendan Todd, who <laughs> you know, he's it's kind of a joke that he's won three times this year, but he he's really been playing great. Uh, you know, he's still been steady in in at TBC Boston. He was right there, and um, at the BMW, he was right there. Memorial, he, he's been right there a lot this year, including the Tour Championship. Um, so I, I think you're getting some value. He's one of the, the straightest hitters of the golf ball on the off the tee, which is super super important here. 
he's pretty good around the greens, but he is an exceptional putter, um, which if if he's hitting fairways and can hit some greens and, and make some putts, then, you know, you're, you're, this isn't a course where you're going to have to go shoot 12 under to win. You know, I, I think the winning score is going to be over par, and I think that's a huge advantage for a guy like Todd, who's a grinder, who's just going to kind of play his game, you know, pretty short off the tee, but he's straight, and he hits, hits his irons well enough that, um, you know, I think he'll be right there. Uh, at 100 to 1, I think that's a fun bet. It's, it's, there's value there. Um, and, yeah, I think, he's a, I think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, and I, I see a bunch of Euro guys following him in the uh, board here. The Norins, the Polters, Wallace, Viesberg, Willett, the EVRs. I mean, any, any, do you, do you uh, pay attention to the Euros? Uh, and do you think any of those kind of guys uh, fit here? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's... Other than Hatton, it, I know you talked about? Yep, yep. So Hatton would be my deal pick. If I, if I were going to go to another Euro, it would probably be Willett. Just he's got the pedigree, uh, obviously winning the Masters a few years ago, and um, he's another one of those guys. He's a grinder. He's he's gonna not get upset when he makes, you know, a bogey. He's gonna under, he's gonna be able to limit the damage to a bogey instead of making doubles. And you know, I just don't think the value's there at one twenty five to one. Um, you know, it's pretty crazy. That I'm sitting here saying Brendan Todd's got value at hundred to one, but a but a Masters winner at one twenty five to one doesn't. Um, but I actually like a, a few more guys a little bit you know, longer shots oh, down yeah, the board. Let us have those. Those are fun. So, um, I love Corey Connor. Uh, and I know you play DraftKings. Yeah, and he's, I'm he's sure in my lineups this week for sure. <laughs> he is the darling of the DK community because he is elite at everything except putting. Yeah. <laughs> he is like one of the worst putters on 69, tour. He's $6,900 this week. So he works. Like I said, he's going to be in my lineups in large part, exactly for the same reason you were talking about. Like, Getting on the green is going to be a bigger battle than most weeks, I feel like. So I'm just going to go with those guys who get on the green better than everybody else. I, and, and I love that because I think this is the kind of week where everyone's going to struggle putting here. So I think it narrows the gap between the good putters and the bad putters. I don't think it's going to amplify the bad putters. I actually think it's going to help them. Um, so, I, you know, his game, tee to green, is just unbelievable. It's top, you know, 15 in the world. And... Um, you know, at 210 or, you know, you can get them some places even longer than that to one. It's, it's an awesome, fun, again, fun bet. Maybe this is a better top 20 bet, okay, yeah. top 10 bet, but it's, uh, he's just so good T to green that you, you got to have him. All right. Who, who else down here? Anybody else we, uh, can, uh, fill out a fun bet card with? Yeah, absolutely. So Sebastian Munoz, who, um, you know, if you guys do watch golf quite a bit, you see that in the, the Tour Championship, he finished in the top 10. Um, he's been riding some pretty good recent form. He made it to East Lake, which is a great achievement in itself. Uh, you know, I think at the number, it's, it's a pretty good value. Again, this is probably when you want a top 20 instead or top 10. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's a fun bet. You sprinkle a couple bucks on him, and, and if he wins, then, you know, it's, it's going to be a celebration. But the, my favorite long shot, um, and at some places he's 400 to one or more is Max Homa. Okay. So he, he, this is already a proven winner and not just a proven winner, a proven winner at a tough event, a tough course with an elite field. Um, he won at Coil Hollow, I think last year or the year before it was last year. Um, and all the big guys were there and that's a, that's a very tough golf course. It, again, I think it's a value bet. He finished, I think he finished second or third a few weeks ago. Um, 
So he's got some decent form, but you, you don't really have to look for form when you're betting a guy that's long in the odds. You know, you're, you're throwing a shot in the dark here. And, um, I think he's got elite talent, which is why I think, you know, he's a fun bet to put on the card. All right. And so I'm going to wrap up the long shots with, I don't know, did sure. you do any research on our hometown boy, Dan McCarthy at a thousand to one here on DraftKings? Cause I well, have to I tell think... you, I put him in my lineup at DraftKings at $6,000. He opens up the lineup quite nicely for me. And actually, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I talked to you briefly about this, you know, he's a pretty straight, accurate driver of the ball himself. Uh, he's pretty good tee to green himself. He's a pretty good scrambler. You know, his, his, uh, he's maybe a horse for a course, uh, that's not, you know, get, he's going to have zero, you know, no, nobody's going to play him on DraftKings other than me and, you know, his family. So, um, I don't know. Do you have, do you, do you ever do any thousand to one kind of things or do you do kind of hometown bets just because uh, that's fun too? Oh no, absolutely. And and when you're down there, you know, you just never know, right. You're, you're hoping to have some fun, but we, look, we had a winner a few weeks ago that was 600 to one in Michael Thompson. It, it can happen. And uh, while it's going to be maybe tough at a U.S. open, it's, it's not like it's never happened before. I mean, think back to John Daly when he came out of nowhere as the last guy in the field and won a PGA championship. It, it's, you just never know, and, and I think that those kind of bets are so fun. Um, again, you place a you place a bet on a guy like that for top twenty or top, you know, top ten. Those bets are paying you a hundred, two hundred to one, and and those are you know maybe a little bit more realistic. But it's yeah, absolutely. You gotta you gotta ride the hometown guys. All right. Well, anything that we missed, Mister Hash? Anything that we needed to make sure that uh, the future betters of America are informed uh, well enough about? No, you know, I just say make sure you're having fun with it. Obviously, don't don't take it too serious. Only only bet what you can afford to lose because chances are in golf betting you're going to lose. Um, but if you just stick to to a, a good budget and have fun with it, and um, it's okay to bet guys you like. It's okay to bet Tiger this week. It's okay to bet Phil this week. If, if you want to bet guys you want to afford, that's fine. Um, you know, if you want to bet to make a little extra money, I, you know, I would, I would stick with statistics and, and try and keep feelings out of it as much as possible. But... Uh, I'm really excited for the U.S. Open. It's, uh, you know, it's been a long ride here. We're going to have a, a crazy major season here coming up at the end of the year, the end of this year and then the next year. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully we can, uh, we can grab a winner here. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have you back on for every single one of those majors as we kind of wind out the crazy 2020 season here. Mr. Hash, I want to thank you for your time and uh, good luck to you. And uh, may your uh, screen be green. <laughs> thank you, Sean. You're Take welcome. care. Have a good night. And we're back. I want to thank uh, Trevor Hash and uh, Dan McCarthy for taking some time out to talk U.S. Open, uh, all things U.S. Open, I guess. Um, Mr. Hughesong, I'm going to wrap up things here. Anything you want to leave the folks with? Any uh, enlightening words? Any uh, words of wisdom? I mean, you got the keys to the vault. Go gamble. Do big. Gamble hard. Everything you got. I'm just kidding. For the love of God, don't do that. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, I want to leave it there. I want to thank again our guests for uh, taking the time in for our show, and uh, we will see you all again next Monday. I do not have a guest uh, interview set up, so you might just get me and Mr. Husong chatting away and uh, figuring out how to solve all the world's problems. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week. See you next Monday. Thank you for joining us, and uh, happy, happy, happy Halloween.